If you would, bow with me in prayer, and then we're going to look at uh, the scriptures together. Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank you for this season. We thank you for the wonderful celebration that is Christmas and uh, the incarnation and what you've done for us. We thank you that you've provided this place that we can gather together this morning uh, to lift your praises, uh, just to confess that we desperately need you, uh, that it's all you and your righteousness and what you've done for us, and we thank you for that. We pray this morning that as we open the scriptures that we look at, familiar stories, that you would help us to see them afresh, that you would just give us a clear picture of your graciousness in the midst of all that goes on in this life and the way that you meet us where we are. We pray that your spirit would uh, lead and guide and teach us, correct us this morning. We pray that as we open your word, that you would illuminate our hearts and our minds, that you would show us clearly the truth of your word. Uh, We thank you that you've given us your word. We thank you Uh, most of all for Jesus and what he's done for us. And we pray it all in his precious name. Amen. Uh, We're actually going to be in uh, Luke chapter 1 and chapter 2, and then a little bit of Matthew chapter 1 if you want to turn there. But as you are, I just want to ask the question, I want you to think about uh, different times in your life maybe that have been difficult. Uh, Hard times in your life where maybe Uh, You're really praying out to God. You're really seeking, reaching out to God. And maybe God doesn't seem like he's answering right away. If you've ever had times like that where things are really difficult and you're asking questions and you're seeking answers, but you feel like you don't really get an answer right away. That can be really, really hard in the midst of those times. And sometimes the answer God is answering and he is talking to us and his answer is just wait. And that's really difficult when we want, we think we know the answer. We think we know how things should go. We're praying, we're asking, we're seeking, but we just get, you need to wait. And that can be really, really difficult. And I think sometimes when we read through scripture and we read the stories that are there, we can kind of forget that the people, that it's real people in history that God was moving and speaking and using and talking to. But I think what we can forget is when we read through scripture that this happens all the time, that there's great big long periods where maybe it's not really clear exactly what God's doing or how he's doing it. But we can miss that when we begin to read in the Bible. And and I think for me anyway, when I read through the Bible, I can read through these great big uh Uh, the giants of the faith and what God did through them and the way he used them. And I can read on a few pages and see how God did all these things. Like if I open to Genesis 12 and I read about Abraham's life and I see how God calls him out of his place where he lives and points him to a new country and he tells him he's going to give him a son and he's going to do all these things. And I can forget when I read Genesis 12 and 13 and 14 and 15 all the way up to like 21. I can read that in like 20 minutes. And I can forget that that took 30, 40, 50 years for those things to happen. How Abraham was waiting. How God made promises and then all of a sudden it seemed like God was silent for a long time. Or or you go a little further in Genesis and you read about Joseph and his life. And you see Joseph who was sold into slavery by his brothers and is taken off into Egypt and goes to jail for something he didn't do. And we can read that on a couple pages and forget that he sat in jail for years. Convicted of something he didn't do. And so sometimes when we read through scripture, we can go, well, look at the way God spoke to these people and what he did and the way he revealed himself. And we go, why didn't he do it like that for us? And we forget that they waited a long time, that there was a lot of waiting. There was a lot of asking what's going on, God, and why is it like this? And we kind of can forget in those stories, especially stories that become so familiar. We know the end. We see how God's working. Like we read about Joseph in Genesis and we know in the back of our mind that it gets to the end and Joseph goes, hey, what you guys meant for evil, God meant for good and he worked it all out. 
and we forget about the 50 years in between. And we can just collapse those stories together and forget about all that waiting and the hard times that came in between. I think that's especially true when we get to the Christmas story that we're going to look at this morning. Mary and Joseph and what they went through and the way God used them. And he gives them some wonderful confirmations that we're going to look at and the way he's working. But there's a lot of hard things in between there. We can read that story in two chapters, Luke 1 and 2, and kind of get the big picture. And we can go look at what God was doing, and that's so neat. And we forget what they were going through day to day. We can forget how hard it could have been what they were dealing with as they were walking by faith. But let me remind you as we look at this passage and we think about this this morning, God tells us that he's faithful. Even when we're not exactly sure how he's working and what it looks like, he promises that he's faithful. In 1 Corinthians 10, Paul says, No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Now, I've heard people take that and I am hesitant to even uh, say that verse, just that one verse, because we can take that out of context and really foul that one up pretty quickly. People will take that and then they'll say things like, uh, God will never allow you to have more than you can handle. Right? I've heard people, maybe you've heard that. That's, a, that's one of our Christian cliches we say a lot. God won't give you more than you can handle. That's not what that says. It says there's no temptation that's not common to man, and there's no way that he's going to put you in a position where you can't continue to cling in faith to him. That's not what he says, that he doesn't give you more than you can handle. Actually, what we read just a minute ago in 2 Corinthians 1, Paul says, we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired for life itself. Right? Or, or what Paul says is we had a lot more than we could handle. But then the next thing he says is, indeed, we felt that we'd received the sentence of death, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. So do you hear what he's saying? There are times when you are burdened with things that you don't know how... I don't know how this works. I don't know the way out. I don't have the strength to do this. But he says, I am faithful and I'm with you in that. And so I want that to kind of be over what we're going to look at. And maybe that's a different way to think of uh, Mary and Joseph and Luke 1 and Luke 2. But I want us to take a very familiar story. And I want us to look at the story and think about the difficulties they went through. Sometimes we can forget that these are real people in history that are waiting on God at different times. And we can put it all together and just go, oh, look at this nice, happy, wonderful story. I had a professor who used to say, I want you to get into their sandals. That's the way he used to say it. I want you to really uh, identify with these people and what they were going through. And so I hope as we do that in Luke 1 and Luke 2 with Mary and Joseph, maybe we'll see it a little differently than we have before. And so we're going to kind of wrap up our series for Advent this year, uh, the coming of Jesus, with just looking at very familiar Christmas stories, but maybe from a little different angle. And so we're going to consider the stories and the difficulties they faced, but then I want us to see how God is faithful and confirming and teaching and walking with them all the way through this. All right, so real simple. So let's just look at those very uh, familiar stories. If you've never read it, it's helpful uh, some really great scholars have put this together in different ways. It's called the Harmony of the Gospel, if you've ever seen that. They take all four Gospels and put them chronologically together. And it helps you bring some things together on timelines and those kind of things. So we're going to kind of look at this story more chronologically. And that's why we might jump over to Matthew for just a second. But let's start in Luke chapter 1, verse 26. Very familiar story. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. To a virgin betrothed to a man 
whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at this saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Mary said to the angel, How will this be since I am a virgin? And the angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who, is called, who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Very familiar story. We read it almost every Christmas. We look at that, we go over that, or we talk about that. But I want you to think or try to uh, put yourself in Mary's shoes for just a second. Right? Young girl, betrothed to be married. She's, she's engaged. She's about to start this new life with her husband. She's got all this plan she's looking ahead to, and all of a sudden this angel shows up. The angel Gabriel shows up and says, hey, I, I got some news for you. You're now going to be miraculously with child. Even though you're a virgin, God's going to do this thing. And by the way, the child you're going to be carrying is the Messiah. He's the long promised one that the entire scriptures talk about. And now he's going to be in your womb. Right. And Mary hears this and she takes this. It's an incredible picture of her faithfulness. She says, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. You go, wow. I marvel that that's the way Mary takes this, right? If you read further on in Luke, she then sings this song. She gives praises to God. She makes much of what God's doing, thanks him for it, right? And we have that picture, and it's an incredible picture of faith. But then I want you to think about what happened the next day or the day after that or the day after that. As Mary started to go and uh, let her friends and family on to, hey, by the way, I'm pregnant and it's a miracle of God. I'm still a virgin, but I'm pregnant. How do you think those conversations went? As she started to explain that to people and say, this is what happened. And this is the angel that came to me. And this is the way it's going down. What would people say? What would that be like to be in that situation? Oftentimes we collapse these together and all of a sudden we're on to Jesus being born and what happens. And we forget that there were weeks and months and years where people looked at her and went, yeah, I don't know. I don't know about that story that she tells, right? And you have that picture here. Now, the, the angel tells her you have a cousin, uh, Elizabeth, who's with child. She's been barren, and now she's six months pregnant. He gives her this news, tells her that. She'll go visit Elizabeth, and we'll look at that in just a second. But I want you just to think about where Mary is right now. She'll go to visit her cousin, Elizabeth. That kind of tells us it's the next thing. We don't know exactly, but it seems like she went right away. Four to five day journey, 80 to 100 miles she traveled to get there. What was she thinking about as she was going? What were her prayers like as she's walking along the way to go see her cousin? Okay, God, is this for real? Are we really going to do this? Is this really going to happen? Is this just the questions that would be coming to mind? We forget the humanness of the people here. These are real people in history. And so she goes, she returns, and then we get to Matthew chapter 1. 
And her fiance, Joseph, is having to deal with all this stuff as well. Look at what it says in Matthew chapter one, verse 18. When his mother, Mary, had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband, Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. So just think about that scene. If you're Joseph, you're engaged, you're betrothed. It's a little more intense than our engagement, but basically kind of like an engagement. They're going to get married soon. Everybody knows it. And all of a sudden your fiance comes to you and says, I'm pregnant. Knowing that you've never been intimate together, knowing that there's no way it's your child. And she says, I'm pregnant. Oh, and it's by the Holy Spirit. And an angel told me. How would you take that? I mean, just really think about that for a second. You're excited about your new life and being married and what goes with that. And she comes and tells you that. And it says, well, Joseph, being a just man, unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. I'm thinking, I'm, I'm guessing here, this is not what the Bible says, this is me saying it, but I don't know that he believed her, right? He's going to divorce her quietly. He's not really sure what's going on. He goes, uh, I'm not sure, right? And you can understand what they're both going through. Can you start to put yourself in their shoes and what that would be like? What that situation would be like and the struggle that's there? Consider Mary for a second as she starts to hear him saying, you know what? Good luck. Right. Starting to let her in. There had to have been some conversations there. It's now dawning on her. I'm going to have this baby and I'm going to be an unwed mother. That's her reality that she's facing in these moments. And you start to get this picture and you go, what in the world? That'd be really hard, would it not? Mary did have God tell her she does know that she is a virgin. She knows this is real. She knows this pregnancy is supernatural, but no one else is going to believe her. So even though she's right, have you ever been in that situation? You, you're right. You know you've done what God's called you to do. You're seeking to stand up for it, and nobody believes you. Yes, she's got the confirmation that God's told her she knows, but that doesn't mean it's easy. In fact, oftentimes that's harder where you know you're doing the right thing and it's not coming together. And so I want you just to think about those things that are there, how difficult that is. What must that have been like for both of them in the midst of that? But then I want us to look the rest of the story. Just go back and look at this story and look at God's graciousness in the midst of all this. What he does one after another after another with them in the midst of this. So go back to this picture here of Mary getting the news. The angel tells her, says, you're with child. Elizabeth, your cousin, is now pregnant. She's been barren. She would have known this. It's her cousin. She knew all about it. She tells her. And so she packs up her stuff and she makes the hundred mile trek to get to her cousin. And look at what happens. Luke chapter one, verse 40. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leapt in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry. Blessed are you among women and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leapt for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. And so get the context. She's gotten this news. She immediately, it seems like she immediately goes to visit her cousin. She's not yet showing, I wouldn't think, I'm guessing, but I wouldn't think she's showing yet. 
She goes and makes this trip to where there's no phones, no emails, no texting, no FaceTime, no nothing. And she shows up and she walks in. There's her barren cousin pregnant, six months pregnant. And she goes, why is the mother of my Lord come to visit me? If you're Mary and you walk in and you hear those words, what must that have been like? That she exclaims. She sees the visual evidence of what the angel told her that her cousin's now pregnant. And you get this picture that is really, really remarkable. And you can imagine Mary on that journey, four to five days, going all these miles, a great uh, change in elevation and all the hardships and talking to God all the way. And she walks in and she's greeted with this. God's grace in the middle of her questioning and going, what is going on, God? How is this going to work? And she walks in and there's Elizabeth exclaiming, go back to Joseph. Right. We know she was there for three months. She comes back, uh, says she's with child. People are realizing I'm, I'm, I'm assuming now she's starting to show. And this is where Joseph decides he's going to divorce her quietly. But then look at what it tells us in Matthew one, verse 20. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. She shall bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and you shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from the sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded and he took his wife, but he knew her not until she had given birth to his son and he called his name Jesus. And so here's Joseph going, I don't know. <laughs> I think I'm going to have to get out of this. I'm going to have to put her away. I'm going to divorce her quietly. And then God comes and tells him about what's going on. And I want you to notice what Joseph does. He obeys. He goes, okay. It says he took her as his wife and he did what God said and he named him Jesus. And he began to do exactly and walk in faith. And so there's an important point there. There's an important application as we think about when hard times are coming and difficulties are there and you have clearly what God's told you to do. You have a choice to compound things and make them worse by being disobedient or you can walk in obedience to what God's told you. And Joseph goes, OK, I'm going to walk in obedience, even though this is really going to be hard. Right. You're now going to raise a child that's not his. Now, he sees now what it is. It's way bigger than anything he could imagine. But everyone around is going to be looking at them going, yeah, I know what went on. They suddenly get married and now they're married. And then shortly after, she's huge, ready to have a baby. And everybody's going to be going, yeah, yeah, we know what happened. Right. And so that's going to now reflect on Joseph as well. You're going to get it with both of them on both sides. But yet he decides to just faithfully follow what God's told them to do. And so, you know, the story. As she gets pregnant, she gets bigger and bigger, and then the, the census goes out. They're supposed to return to Bethlehem, the, the, the most famous of all the, the Christmas narratives. They go to Bethlehem. There's no place for them to stay. They, they, they go and they find a place to stay. Most likely they stayed with relatives. Uh, we kind of mess the story up in all sorts of ways. Uh, we've got a lot of things that have grown up around the story that aren't true. Uh, most likely they stayed with relatives, but they kind of stayed under the house, like in a... Uh, crawl space where the animals would be 
And so they would be there and they would lay the baby in a manger. And that's what scripture tells us. But most likely uh, Mary had some relatives, at least some distant relatives around and helping her with the birth and all that goes with it. But there she is now ready to have babies in very humble circumstances. Right now, they've both been told you're pregnant with the one that's going to be the Messiah, the king. And then here they are finding themselves having a baby in the most humble of circumstances, which could lead to some questions, I'm sure. But that's what happens. And then, you know, the story. Right. So there they are having the baby going through it. Very real situation. They traveled a long way while she's nine months pregnant. Now having a baby, the hardships, the pain, all that goes with that. And then what happens nearby? Luke chapter two. And an angels came to the men, the shepherds in the field and said, fear not for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that shall be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you You shall find the baby wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was an angel with the angel, a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest And on earth, peace among those with whom he is well pleased. When the angels went away from them into the heavens, the shepherds said to one another, let us go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. So think about Mary and Joseph. It's been months, at least four or five, six months since Joseph has gotten this word from God. Everything else progresses normally. They get married. She's ready to have a baby. They go through all of that. And there they are in the most humblest of circumstances, having this baby. They've just had the child. They've laid it in the manger. And all of a sudden, a knock at the door. Some shepherds they've never met show up to say, you're not going to believe what just happened. We were out in the field and the skies opened up and the heavenly host started to proclaim that your child is the savior of the world. What are you thinking when they show up? If you're Mary and Joseph and there you are with this baby and they walk up and they tell you this. People you've never met before. We were just out in the field and suddenly there's angels and hosts and singing and they were so excited about this baby we had to come see. And Luke tells you that Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen and had been told to them. And again, you see God's grace right when they need it. Right there, God shows up and just confirms to them in the midst of what they're doing. But he's not done yet. There's two more episodes that he tells us so clearly. If you know the the history and what they go through at 40 days, you're supposed to take the child to the temple to present them part of the Levitical code and what they were to do. And so Mary and Joseph, they leave there. We kind of think that the timeline gets a little bit. We're not sure if they move down to Bethlehem or that area. We're not exactly sure if they go home to Nazareth and come back. We don't know. But somewhere in there, they, they go back to the temple after 40 days. And I want you to really wrestle with where they are in this. I don't know how many of you remember what it's like your first baby the first 40 days, right? Do you remember that at all? It's basically like one long day. That's, that's really what it is. It all just kind of goes together. Uh, you don't really sleep a whole lot. There's a lot of feeding. There's a lot of dirty diapers. There's a lot of, in my house, there was a lot of hallucination on my part. I do not do well without sleep. 
first baby was like every noise he made. Was that okay? Is that right? Is he supposed to be doing that? I'll go sleep on the floor next to him and not sleep at all. More than once, I walked into Joanna and said, here, give give me the baby. And she said, what are you doing? He's asleep in the other room. And I thought I was so out of it from not sleeping. And so if you know what that's like, that month, right, that first month is just a mess. Because no matter what anybody tells you about babies, you don't listen, right? You go, they'll go, oh, this will be normal. And you do this and you do this and don't worry about it. And you go, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then you don't do any of it, right? And so that's them. That's where they are 40 days in exhausted watching this baby. I'm sure watching him very closely. This is the Messiah. This is what God said. This is a special. And then he needs to be fed and he needs to be changed. And then he cries and then he sleeps and he does all the. And they're probably going, what in the world? Exhausted. And they go into the temple and this incredible thing happens. And so they walk into the temple and it says there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And the man was righteous and devout, and he was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do to him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms, and he blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared for in the presence of all peoples. A light for the revelation of the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. And his father and mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed and a sword will pierce through your own soul also so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed and so you see the picture they walk in to present him and here's this guy that's been waiting basically his whole life and god has shown him you're not going to die until you see the messiah and he sees jesus and goes that's him and he goes over and he tells them and he blesses them and he takes them right after that it says the woman uh anna who is a prophetess comes advanced in years she's a a widow who's been there for almost 90 years waiting and she does the same thing and she starts telling people and she starts proclaiming who jesus is and what is going on and it says his parents marveled at what was being said and so one after another after another god continues to do this with them is there in the midst of this is they're hearing the gossip around who they are and what's happening and oh yeah, yeah i'm sure that's the story and then god continues to do this one after another There's one last one here, and it's in Matthew chapter 2. It's where we really mess up the Christmas story, right? I actually was was going over this this morning, and I walked in and went, oh, there it is, right there. The the three wise men with the baby in the manger. Yeah, they weren't there, right? They weren't there with the manger. So uh, if you didn't know that, I'm sorry. Like, (laughs) if you've got the the little nativity scene in your house, you can just remove them because they weren't there. Uh, And we don't know that there were three. Right? We're not even sure about that. It says they brought, they brought gold, frankincense, and myrrh. There were three gifts that they brought, but there could have been a whole lot of them. And most likely there were a whole lot of them. Most likely it wasn't just three. It was probably a lot more. What we can piece together from the chronology and what Scripture tells us is they probably showed up a year to two years after Jesus is born. And so they are now settled in their house. This baby is growing. The everyday things of life. They've now got, uh, maybe he's starting to walk, maybe toddler, that age, starting to get into that. And it's been a long time. 
right? It's been over a year, at least a year, since that, uh, these words that they hear from Simeon and Anna in the temple. And everything kind of settles into normal. And then all of a sudden, these guys from the Far East show up. And they knock at the door, and they show up, and it says, And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell down, and they worshipped him. You get in the scene? You've got like a one, 18-month-old, one-year-old in your house, and all of a sudden these guys show up from a long way away with all these gifts, and they start worshiping this child. They fall down and worship him. And they, opening their treasures, they'd offered him gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. And so they came from a long, long far away. Most likely it was a great big train of people that have made this trip and have come in. Probably a lot more than three. And they come in and they lavish these gifts on them and they start worshiping the baby. And so I want you just to think of that picture all the way through. The beautiful picture of God not forsaking, not leaving, but reminding, caring for them, reminding them over and over, showing them what he was doing in the midst of all that they were going through. He kept meeting them right where they were, right in the midst of all the hardships and the difficulties. We know from the Gospels that it will follow Mary her whole life that Jesus was illegitimate. The religious leaders will make that claim to Jesus' face when he's a grown man. Yeah, we know about you. We know what was going on. He'll, they'll deal with that their whole life. But God graciously just gives them all these incredible marks of what he's doing. He meets them right where they are. And it's a beautiful picture of God's love and his grace and his mercy in the midst of that. But the temptation becomes when we read that and we see that picture, and we go, man, look at what Joseph and Mary did and what they went through. And they just continued to faithfully go through it. And we can get to the end and we can say, well, all of this picture, well, it must just be that they were so faithful and that's why God did this. Right? That's the way our heart likes to do it. Right? They were so faithful, so God did this. But that's not the truth. I don't believe. That's not the way God works. I, I think when we miss the parts, there were probably a lot of nights of doubts. And frustrations and asking God, what's going on here? And why is this like this? And why do people not believe us? And why are we enduring this and moving? And right after this, they're going to get up and move to Egypt to get away from people trying to kill Jesus and all that they have going on and all the frustrations and the things that would go with it. And I think we'd wrongly surmise that God offers the gracious reminders because of their obedience, because that would miss the graciousness of our loving father. He does it because of his grace and who he is and the way he loves us in spite of what we mess up and what we ask and what we struggle with. And he shows up there in the midst of it, ever loving, ever present, never forsaking to remind us that he hasn't left. And so the truth is, though, when we read this story and we can even see it in Mary and Joseph, things get pushed together. And all of a sudden there's all these things you go, man, look at all these different things he did in that short span of time. And we forget about all the struggles that were in between those. And right now, uh, when you hear that or when you hear that story, you go, yeah, that'd be great. I'd love for the angel just to tell me what's going on. I'd love for God to just show up and throw back the skies and let me in on what's happening. But oftentimes that's not the case. But the story of Christmas shows us that God loves us so much that he did come. And he tells us, I'll never leave you and I'll never forsake you. And he's proven it in the incarnation and his coming. That he does love us, that he does care for us, even when we're not sure what's going on. He's still there and ever present and ever acting. So I want you just to think about today the different times in your life as we go, as we celebrate uh, communion this morning. But think of the times that God has shown up. 
I think if we went around the room and we started to ask and talk about those different times, there has been times when things are really difficult and he's just gave you a confirmation. He's graciously done for us just what he did uh, for Mary and Joseph over and over. That he doesn't just leave us in those moments, but he is there. And you might be in the midst of one right now. Uh, You might be in that five years, ten years, the longer period where you go, I don't know. I don't know where it is. But we see over and over when we look back on God's faithfulness that he never leaves us and he never forsakes us no matter what the situation is. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the glory of this picture, just your faithfulness, the way that you meet us where we are. We thank you for the way that you did that in Mary and Joseph's life in the midst of all those things surrounding them. We thank you most of all for humbling yourself and coming to us in this way. We thank you that you have met us in the midst of all our mess, that you love us, that you graciously come to us. We thank you for that. We pray that you just continue to remind us of all the things that you're doing, all the levels that you're working on that we don't even uh, can never understand or comprehend, but we know that you're there and working. And I pray that you just help us to trust you in the midst of that. We pray all these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen.